Hi, everyone. I know recently we announced we were going to two episodes a week and then three episodes a week. But you know what? There are just too many episodes. So we are going to back to five episodes a week. Still a reduction from seven, but there were just too many interviews scheduled, and I didn't want to make all the authors wait for too long. So I hope you can keep up with me. Listen to one a week as you're on your way to work or on your way home or putting your kids to bed or whatever it is you're doing. Moms don't have time to read books now five times a week. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, I'm Zivi Owens, and you're listening to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. This 30-minute podcast features a new author interviewed by me every single day, 365 days a year for about 30 minutes. I am also the publisher for Zibby Books, which publishes 12 books a year in fiction and memoir. Our books are already out now. And you can check it out on zibbybooks.com. And we have a magazine called Zibby Mag, where we have lots of wonderful essays and lifestyle features. That's at zibbymag.com. We have classes at zibbyclasses.com. And I recently opened a bookstore in LA called Zibby's Bookshop at 1113 Montana Avenue at 11th Street in San Monica. I hope that you are able to enjoy some of our other offerings. But this here podcast is the basis of all of it and started in 2018. And no matter what I do, this is basically my favorite thing. Enjoy. Jonathan Conyers is the author of I Wasn't Supposed to Be Here, Finding My Voice, Finding My People, Finding My Way. Jonathan is the co-founder of the Brooklyn Debate League, a nonprofit whose mission is to bring speech and debate to at-risk communities. He has been featured in the New York Times, Washington Post, The Kelly Clarkson Show, and more. A graduate of Stony Brook University, he is the founder of Conyers Media and the host of the Professional Winner podcast. In addition, he is a respiratory therapist at NYU Langone Medical Center specializing in neonates and pediatrics. He lives in New York City with his wife and three young children. Welcome, Jonathan. Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books to Discuss. I wasn't supposed to be here finding my voice, finding my people, finding my way. Congrats. Thank you so much, Zibi. Um, it's an honor to be here in your presence. Thank you for supporting my book. Thank you for all you do for the book world. And I'm excited to talk about this project that means so much to me. Oh, so sweet of you. I loved your book. I know, as I know, we've already been on. Instagram and I've been putting it up in my store and all that stuff. But uh, the way you tell your story, 
and all the things you've gone through, but just the way you present it and the like the human heart and spirit. And I don't know, I'm not saying this very well, but it was just so inspiring and you just can't help but root for you for like the rest of your life and how you talk about like the things you're proud of and the things you got into that you aren't so proud of and like the way you talk about your family. And it's just so well done, but also just so well lived. I don't even know how do you comment on someone's whole life. But anyway, I found it very, very moving. So great job as a book, (laughs) as a life. (laughs) Uh, Put a lot of energy into it. It's, you know, it's so weird, especially when you're writing a memoir, you have like this power, right? It's like, I get to write about myself. I get to tell parts of my story and I don't know which part I want to focus on. I don't know which part I want to resonate. I don't know how honest I want to be. I don't know how much I want to reflect. I don't know what my family's going to think. But when I was writing this project, when I was diving into this journey, I knew there was only one way to do it. And that was to be brutally honest and tell my story and hope that it resonates with all different types of people. You know, my life hasn't been easy and I wanted to share those moments, but I didn't want to share it to the point of like for someone to feel bad or someone to feel like, oh my God, this, you know, life sucks and it's not always fair to everyone. I wanted it to be a redemption story. I wanted people to understand that, you know, like you can overcome any obstacle that what you're born into or your zip code doesn't define you. And I've been so blessed that people have resonated with the story that people from all different walks of life see myself, I mean, see themselves in my story from talking about addiction to talking about sexual assault. I'm talking about teenage pregnancy and all of these tough things that I had to overcome in my life that are sensitive topics, but to know that it's helping so many people out there, to know so many people are motivated and want to make change in their life and understand that there's still so much more life to live, regardless of what they have been through or what they're going through, uh, gives me great joy. So I'm just super excited to continue to tell my story. Secret, I'm only 29, so... Oh my gosh! (laughs) Most people my age don't get the opportunity to share their narrative. So I'm still young. I'm still learning a lot about life. I still have so much more life to live. And I can't wait till the second memoir. See where the next 20 years, next 30 years, next 40 years take me in this journey. Well, don't wait too many years or I won't be around to read it. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I plan on writing soon. Uh, Secret, uh, have another project coming out for 2025, a graphic novel. Oh, that's great. So there's a lot more things in the works. Uh, I won't be waiting too long because I have a <laughs> lot of stories to tell, a lot of things I want to accomplish. So we're going to stay at it and we're going to hope the world supports me and continue to push me along this beautiful journey of writing. That's wonderful. I even love from a book standpoint, the way that you structured it and the chapters. For example, you know, I'm just going to say this for people who haven't seen your book yet. I wasn't supposed to be here. Each chapter takes that title and spins off it. So I wasn't supposed to be born. I wasn't supposed to see my father cry. I wasn't supposed to be set free in the Bronx. I wasn't supposed to be making difficult decisions. I wasn't supposed to be in high school in Harlem. I wasn't supposed to be at an elite private boarding school, blah, blah, blah. So it's so neat. I mean, it seems like obvious. Why why don't more people chapter have chapter titles like this. It's so, like, you can't open it and think like, oh my gosh, well, why? What happened? How did this happen? So even that, how did you decide to structure it that way? And was this always the title? Were those always the chapter headings? Just curious. Yeah. So the first thing I'll say was that it's funny how so many people resonate with like the chapter structure. And like when you're having these events, when you're talking and you're doing a tour, 
it's always the things that you do that you never thought about that everybody's like, that was genius. That was great. And you go, oh yeah, I played that, but I didn't. It was kind of just, it just fell in my lap. For a lot of people that don't know, I am a medical provider. So I work for NYU Medical Center um, here in Manhattan. And if, in the beginning of my book, it, the first chapter is I wasn't supposed to be born. And I literally mean that. My parents were addicted to uh, crack cocaine and I was their fifth. I always say their fifth and unwanted child because my mother did everything in her power to abort me. But due to she was deep into her addiction, she was struggling a lot with her mental health and she already had four kids that she couldn't provide for. And she was homeless. So her best bet when she found out she was pregnant with me was one, she was using a lot and she didn't know what my outcome would be. So she tried to abort me. And one of the places she tried to abort me at is Bellevue Hospital, which is right next to the hospital I work at every single, almost every single day. So one day I was walking past Bellevue and I kind of just stopped and I looked at the hospital and I was like, wow, a courageous doctor in there told my mother no, that he wouldn't abort me because she had a hernia, her health was declining, she was already four months pregnant. And he stood by that decision and he was like, no, I think you should just have this child. It's just too risky to abort him and just see what happens. So one day, just on my walk to the hospital, drinking my coffee, I'm just like, I'm just looking at Bellevue. And I was like, wow, this, I really don't supposed to be here. And it just stuck. And when the opportunity came, you know, I fought. I was like, I want the title to be, I wasn't supposed to be here. And then when I started to write the book and we started to dive deep into my story and I had to go through some tough moments, it was a tough journey writing the book and reliving a lot of these moments. Every chapter, it was like, God has been so good. Every chapter was just like, there's just been so many amazing people throughout my life that I probably didn't realize then that helped me get to where I am. And it was just a common theme throughout the book that it was a lot of places that I ended up throughout my life that I just wasn't supposed to be there. Whether that was just me stumbling to a debate room, whether that was just me listening to a teacher, whether that was a professor grabbing my daughter and holding her throughout class. It was just like all of these situations that was just like very unique. And it was just very hard to keep processing that, like, even with all the tough things I've been through, there was always this guardian angel or this shield around me, protecting me and putting me in places that people that looked like me or people that was going through what I was going through probably shouldn't have been. And it was those moments that I was like, hey, I just want to label every chapter about a place I wasn't supposed to have been and how that helped me. So that's kind of the story behind the title and all the chapter breakdowns. Well, now I'm disappointed that everybody else likes that. I like that. <laughs> that I was being unique. I was like, that's so cool. I wonder if anyone else noticed, but they did. Oh, well. Well, good for you, I guess. <laughs> I mean, there's so many different stories and different people in the book that we could spend the you know hours dissecting from your relationship with Marquise and how his life sort of goes one way and your life sort of goes one way and the times at which we we see the place where you weren't supposed to be and how you could have so easily ended up somewhere else. So many of these moments and people like Mr. Marshall, right? That was his name who, who sort of got helped you through school and suggested you go to different types of high schools. And you had some funny exchange with your mom when you said they were suggesting you go to boarding school. You were like, mom, what's, what's boarding school? And she said, like, I, I don't know what that is. She said it in a different way. But anyway, like, just like, I don't know what that is. Um, and you're like, all right, that was the end of my discussion about boarding school. <laughs> anyway, you have so many characters who you reference in the book and talk about as your chosen family and the, the angels who sort of got you through. I don't know if you said angels. I'm saying, you know, people who got you through from one moment to another and how they make up 
the journey and how you got there. Tell me a little more about what it was like thinking about those people again. I know you said you didn't realize at the time, but you know, what does it feel now? Like, how does it feel looking back and how, how does that just inspire you on a daily basis? Um, it's bittersweet, you know? Uh, so as I was writing the book, started to realize the power of my village is what I call it. Yes, that's right. Sorry, and, the power um, of your village. And the secret, the secret to the book is really every chapter is truly dedicated to somebody. So yes, it's a memoir. Yes, it talks about my personal journey, but the real reason for the book was just to say thank you to so many people, just to highlight so many amazing people that helped me throughout my journey. So each chapter is dedicated to someone. Each chapter is saying thank you. This book is a testament to how to build a village. We are in a place right now in the world where there's so many teachers that are undervalued. There are so many teachers figuring out why they're doing this job. Um, and unfortunately, our society has done a poor job of giving them the resources they need. They've done a poor job of paying them the right wages. And I think it was my responsibility as a kid who needed teachers, who my teachers had to be more than teachers. They had to want to save us. They had to want to protect us. They had to want to care for us due to the areas we were growing up in, due to all the violence and, the, and all the things that came with the zip codes we were raised in. So I, with this newfound gift and power and opportunity, wanted to say, I just wanted to thank them and show them that you got to understand that no matter what the world thinks or what we're going through with this teacher shortage, that there are so many students, there are so many people doing amazing things for their community that needed you. And I hope that's worth something to them. And I also wanted to talk about friends like Marquise or even people who were not the best for the community and how they shaped me and how mm -hmm. sometimes... Even the wrong role models taught me what not to do and, mm -hmm. and believed in me, even when they couldn't believe in themselves. So it was a very interesting way to show these things. And the reason why I started off the statement with is bittersweet is because there's a lot of people in that story who are no longer here, who will never get to see their name in a book, who never got to understand that the choices they made for me were breathtaking and monumental, like Mr. Marshall. One of the last things I ever said to Mr. Marshall was not something nice. I thought that he was ruining my life. I thought that him getting me over to the high school was the worst thing ever. But now I look back at my group of friends who I wanted to go to high school with. None of them are alive. Um, most of them are gone due to, gun, due to gun violence. Most of them passed away in their 20s. You think about a character like Marquise, he is currently in prison. And I love these people. I still talk to them. Um, we had these conversations. They still laugh and say, look at you, Johnny, on TV. You made it. You did it. We all knew you was going to make it out. But it's bittersweet because I want them here with me during these moments. I want to help their families. I want to show them that there was a different world. And now as adults, as men, we can change and change our narrative and do right and help to our communities and give back. And I have plans for it. We'll be home one day. Um, but it's bittersweet to share these moments. And the people that helped me get to these moments are nice. Now, not here. And then you have people like Deco, where we have a wonderful nonprofit, the Brooklyn Debate League, that serve hundreds of kids. And we're doing a lot of amazing things throughout New York City for at-risk youth. And I get to look back and say, hey, thank God I walked into that debate room. Thank God I opened my heart and allowed him to be a mentor to me. I think back to Pam, my college counselor. That's like a mom to me. You know, I just, I did commencement speech at Stony Brook University. I got to do career day with them. I get to talk to a lot of the EOP students throughout New York City. So I still have some relationships with these individuals who are amazing, who are became family and people that I now have professional and business relationship with. And then there are some that is like no longer here or are still going through this tough journey we call life. 
Um, so it's, it's beautiful and it's painful all at the same time. Um, well, you did a beautiful job writing about your family in an expository way without judgment, explaining motivations, right? You, you talk about scenes where there are bullets flying into your home and, you know, your mom on the couch when, when your dad was, you know, still in Virginia, Virginia, right? Going to, you know, his weekend prison and just like her passed out sort of on the couch and doing crack and taking your money from the lawn mowing job and just all these moments that are heartbreak after heartbreak after heartbreak and and even their you know the violence between the two of them but you don't do it in a condemning way you don't write about it to say like can you believe my parents or you don't write about it in an angry way you put it out there you explain why you point out the good you know they weren't doing it on the street or like this was their rationale we were a good family and it was just beautiful the way that you handled that. So tell me a little about your decision, or maybe it wasn't a decision, it just came out, just to how you portrayed your family in the book. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Yeah, great question, Zibby. Um, And I think it, it was a decision. It was calculated. I think... So many times we look at, you know, addiction and we're judgmental. Uh, we mm-hmm. put these people in a box. We, we, we show the worst parts of these individuals. And yes, you know, I had to sit down with my parents when this opportunity presented itself, when publishers and companies were interested in me doing a book. And, you know, I told my parents, there's no amount of money. There's no amount of attention. There's no amount of publicity that I'm willing to take if you guys feel like this is too much for you. It's my story. And I'm only going to tell it one way. And my parents, them typical selves, said, if this is what you need, if you think this is an opportunity that can help kids and do the great work you're doing, then tell it. And I think they even assumed, like my mom has read the book and said, wow, okay, I thought this would be worse. And I was like, mom, you never missed a parent-teacher conference. You have five kids. All five of us have college degrees. All five of us are homeowners. You know, lightning don't strike once. I know the media may present Black women and Black men who are addicted to crack as criminals, as dirty, as people who don't care about themselves, or people who don't love their family. But that's not always the narrative. My mother used to walk on the highway to Miss Parent Teacher Conference. My mother, when they try, I couldn't read to second grade. When they tried to put me in special education, my mother sat, got clean for a month and read with me every single day. 
and pushed me. A woman who was homeless, a woman who could have easily told the government, put this kid in special ed and give me a check because we need it so desperately bad because I can't feed them. She believed in the power of education. Um, she was a junior in nursing school in college when she got addicted. My dad was a, a boxing a boxing champ and was a DJ and had a great career at the MTA before he got addicted. So these were not individuals who were bad people by any means. These were not individuals who intentionally wanted to hurt their family. They were a product of the 80s, which is a whole another historical discussion where they didn't know what they were taking at the time. They didn't know the impacts that crack would have on the household and they felt subject to that. And I wanted to tell the uniqueness of them. I wanted to show the world that you know, there are tons of people who are lawyers, who are surgeons, who are alcoholics, who have a, addiction problems. We have so many people not of color suffering from addiction who are still amazing people, who have amazing careers, who have accomplished amazing things here on earth. And I just wanted to show the, narr the narrative that, unfortunately, too many times when it comes to people of color and their addiction, they're frowned upon. And yes, it, it's a slippery slope because my parents did do things that were not great, things that was horrendous and things that addicts do. But there was also beauty in it. And it took a lot of healing for me to get there. If you probably, if I would have wrote the book as a 16-year-old, it would have been a whole different book, right? <clears throat> if I would have wrote the book probably as a 24-year-old, it would have been a whole different book. But I had to learn um, through therapy, through me diving into my own health journey and figuring out what type of parent I want to be and how I want my kids to perceive me is that we're not perfect and that there's there's sometimes, not every time, some things are just 100% horrendous, but a lot of times there's beauty and pain and that I still, I'm still 50% of each one of them. So, you know, my mother says it all the time, like, what if I never became an addict? Maybe I would have been a CEO, but now I am watching my kids try to become that. So, you know, and it's not to say that she's 100% ill. It's not to say that we still don't have our fights and we still are not battling these situations. But I wanted to let her know that I appreciated her warmth when she did show it. I appreciate her showing me the importance of education and how it could be a ticket out of the situations that we were brought into. And I also wanted to show her that, hey, these things still affected me and it still made my life just harder. So it was complicated. It was hard. And I just spoke from the heart. And I've been happy that a lot of people have resonated with my mother. I've been happy and privileged to talk to so many people that is struggling with addiction and for them to feel like I humanized them and I showed parts of them that the world never get to see. And I'm thankful for that. Even though it was painful and it was tough to do, I am thankful for that. There was someone, sort of not closely in my life, but who I knew who I, I knew was going through some addiction issues themselves and I was like angry about it. And then I was like, but you know what? I interview people who go through this all the time. And I have nothing but compassion for them. Why would it be different for somebody that I know? So I feel like books are a way for all of us to see what maybe the people that we might even know don't aren't, aren't comfortable sharing. And so we learn more about the people in our own lives than because of people like you who shine a light on others who are going through it, people who write memoirs about their own addiction. I know addiction is only one piece of your story, not even your, you know, so, but anyway, I, I just, the power of the narrative is, is just, as you said, across every group of people, no matter what, it's amazing. Yeah. And um, yeah, it was, it was just one of the reasons why I really wanted to take on this challenge and write about it. You know, like as painful as writing this book was for me, it was, it was much bigger than me. Um, mm -hmm. And this is why I travel and I go so hard to 
spread awareness about this book because I feel like this book can speak to every single person. Mm-hmm. And I know that sounds crazy, right? Because, you know, when you write a book, you want to find your target audience. Anybody that is a business owner who understands anything about marketing, what is your target audience? You can't reach mm-hmm. everybody. But I wanted to do the impossible. And I think no matter who you are, my book talks about everything from mm-hmm. trans, from addiction, from, yeah. again, sexual assault, from teenage pregnancy, from going through college, from coming together, from building a sense of community. So to be able to share all of these unique perspectives from my, from my life and tie it together where it just runs smooth as a memoir, as it should be, was just, it made me feel so good. It made me feel like, you know, no matter who picks up my book, no matter what walk of life you come from, there is something to learn from it. And like, like again, like I said, even though it was hard to do, like, I was happy. I think I was able to accomplish that. That's not for me to say. That's for the reader. But uh, I'll, I'll I hope it. I was. <laughs> <laughs> Can you give me a PS of everything that's going on for your siblings now? Yeah, like- of course. So my, other, my oldest brother, James, he helps me run a lot of my Airbnbs in Virginia. So we do real estate together. And um, he managed restaurants uh, throughout the state of Virginia. So that's my oldest brother. My second oldest brother, uh, Joshua, is a Grammy-nominated opera singer. So he was just at the Met doing Malcolm X. He just had a bunch of shows here. And he's also a professor at the School of Music at Rochester. So he's doing amazing. He was just over here dropping gifts off uh, uh-huh. of uh, for his nieces and nephews. My third oldest brother, Justin, is a principal, assistant principal in Virginia, in Newport News, and he's also a social worker. And my sister is a stay-at-home mom now. Uh, she was doing nursing, but she's a stay-at-home mom. She owns a, a beautiful home in Pennsylvania um, with her husband and her three kids. And then it's me, the baby, doing a lot. <laughs> uh, I am still a respiratory therapist specializing in neonates and pediatrics at a NYU Medical Center. A writer. I work uh, a writer and hopefully trying to get into production. So films, things of that nature, and just the whole art of storytelling. So my end goal is just to share important stories, to share stories usually of people that don't get the opportunity to share their stories, and hopefully one day bring it into writing, to the big screen, and to all different walks of life and how we present media. So that's me. Very cool. And my parents, they live in Manhattan. They live in Manhattan. They're doing okay. Much better than what our early years of life. And I'm proud of them. And they're still going through their journey and they're taking things one day at a time. And, you know, addiction is a complicated process, but they're doing much better. They are great grandparents (laughs) and we are still tight. There's no fallout. We'll be all be seeing each other for the holidays and God has blessed us tremendously. Um, And thank God we all stick together and was able to overcome a lot of these things together. It's so crazy that now I feel like I can imagine what your Chris, you know, what your holidays are going to look like. Oh, you much know? different than it was as a kid. I yeah, right. Yeah. I know. I'm like imagining everybody grown up, and you know, like that's like the end of this movie. Is this going to be a movie? By the way, has this been optioned? Oh, uh, so great question. So there's talks with Page Boy Productions to not really option the book, but to more focus on the narrative of me and Deco story which is great, which was the story that the world fell in love with with Humans of New York. So there's talks of that happening. Recently, I just we just shot a nine-month documentary about the Brooklyn Debate League, which is a nonprofit that me and Deco co-funded with Vice News. And I am in some talks of doing another project with Option, the book that I can't speak of right now, but uh, very, very exciting. Some 
promising meetings this week and um just keeping my fingers crossed as you know zibby um hollywood and <clears throat> production is complicated there could be a lot of interest but you just never know where it's gonna go so just fingers crossed but i promise zibby you'll be the first person i email if everything goes through <laughs> that would be great <laughs> we could present it together the first time exclusive on zibby owns media <laughs> oh, let's we'll do it i'm in, uh, I'm in. i'll host a, i'll host a premiere <laughs> oh let's do it let's do it i'm gonna remember that zibby I'll have the transfer. You have your little autopilot here who's going to, you know, hold me to whatever I say. Oh, my gosh. Uh, But, yeah, yeah. So there's a lot of talks. um, And just besides me, I'm just trying to get production space and help other people bring their stories. So I'm still very, very new to this. Mm -hmm. Still learning a lot. So I'm humble. I'm looking for mentors and guides. And I'm confident that I have the work ethic and the capabilities of accomplishing everything. I truly believe that. Truly believe in myself. So. This is a new world I'm entering. I'm just here to take in all the information and spend as much time as I need learning from from people that have done it and are great at doing it. So, well, I feel like I already know how you think and how you learn, <laughs> and you know, like I feel like I've been through all this with you as you like got through school. You know, so I have no doubt. I believe you too. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for that. It means a lot. <laughs> was there a part of the book writing process that you were like, "Oh, that was not so fun." Yeah, yeah. I think one of the toughest parts was around chapter seven when I was talking about my daughter. Mm-hmm. She's 10, Emily. So, you know, I was writing as a 16-year-old, like, and I'm 29, so it ain't like I had to dip, dive that that far back. Mm-hmm. But just sitting there and walking through the Bronx and thinking about how I felt when I found out I was going to be a dad my 11th grade year of high school and how many times I wrote I didn't want her or I didn't want a baby. And I wanted her mom, who is now my wife. We have three kids now. <laughs> um, and I wanted her mom to not have her. Um, that was very, very tough for me. It was very, very emotional. And it was a lot of times where I was like, I'm going to take this out. And then I had to look myself in the mirror and said, well, you told your parents secrets. You told all of these other people secrets. You hold all these other people accountable. You have to be accountable. You have to look yourself in the mirror. And my daughter's 10. She is a genius. I catch her all the time trying to Google me and see what I'm up to. And I have forbidden her from reading the book now, but I'm pretty sure in a couple of years, maybe 15, knowing her, she probably will sneak and get to it before that age. She will read it. And my old, my fear is, will she see it as, well, my dad was 16, he was thinking that, or will she see it as, well, he didn't want me. Mm. Um, So that's something I battle. That's something that's very, very hard for me. It gives me a lot of anxiety. Um, I didn't even know what anxiety really was until it started happening to me. And in the book, I also mentioned that she was what saved me. Um, she is what gave me purpose. And I'm not saying that I'm not promoting teenage pregnancy at all. <laughs> it was very tough. It was a lot of hurdles that was just unnecessary that I brought into myself. But for what I was going through in my life at a time where I couldn't love myself, when I didn't have respect for my own life, um, Emily brought that sense of purpose for me. She forced me to get out the streets. She forced me to be a better person. She forced me to be the student I was at Stony Brook. She forced me to get into medicine. She forced me to dedicate my life to giving back and letting people know that they're heard, they're loved. So without her, are you? would you be talking to me, Zibby? No, you wouldn't. Without her, would there be a book? No. Without her, I probably wouldn't be alive. So, you know, it's a gift and a curse. But again, that's for, that's for her to decide how she views my writing. Um, and all I can do as a dad is respect it and just remind her every day that I'm here, that I love her and that she was the greatest thing that ever happened to me. So 
you know, that was a very tough moment for me. My parenting advice, for what it's worth, as a mom of four, much older, but probably not much wiser, is to try to get ahead of that conversation before she finds out about it. So, I mean, how can a child not be moved by what you just said to me? I mean, you tell her all that and, you know, she'll put herself in your shoes and, but maybe don't let her find out through the book. Yeah, I think she start, she's very good at math. So she's starting to do calculations and she's starting to look at me. And she's like, you guys are 29. How is that possible? I'm like 11. Mm. I'm just like, okay, not yet. <laughs> but kids these days, they're just so bright. And um, mm-hmm. the conversation may need to have happen earlier than I want it to be. But, you know, again, it's not for me to decide. It's what she needs in that moment. I have to meet her there. So I'm dreading it. But <laughs> Zibby, you're right. You are a thousand percent right. I need to get ahead of it before I catch her under her cover in her room reading the book. Even yeah. though there's like there's like 30 copies around the house. I'm pretty <laughs> sure she can grab one easily. So I've been trying to do a good job of hiding them in my closet. But, you know, the conversation needs to happen sooner than later. But that was probably one of the toughest moments for me in the book. Oh, well, I, I thought I was worried about some things. I wrote a memoir. I was worried about some things. My kids finding out. And like you, there are copies everywhere. I'm like, well... <laughs> Have you still not read my book? What the heck? Oh, no, mom. You know, my 16-year-old boy is like, no, yeah. I'm sure it's great, mom. You know, it's great. But I'm like, okay, fine. Why did I even worry? (laughs) Kids are kids. Anyway, Jonathan, thank you so much. I wasn't supposed to be here, but who knows in the universe, I think you were supposed to be right here today. So thank you for coming. Thank you so much, Zibby, for having me. And it's an honor to be here. I really appreciate you. Thank you. All right, Jonathan, take care. Bye-bye. Thank you so much, Zibby. I appreciate it. Thank you. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. 